0: As I always say for um, Sunday mornings at Disciple Community, that our primary focus and my desire is to tap into God's desire uh, for you and for us um, on these Sunday morning gatherings, and and we want to um, tap in and hear the voice of God and 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 listen to the Spirit. And what he's saying to the church in this in this time in this place, um, and I believe that um, sometimes the Lord speaks, uh, would say universally in a in a Catholic kind of way, right? So or Catholic in a universal um, in universal way to the church, and then oftentimes I feel like he speaks um, contextually, so to the the immediate community. Um, or the flock, or the, the network of people who are, who are knit together um, in, in this time and place. And so sometimes there's words for a nation. Sometimes there's words for a state or a city. And then specifically for us, I feel like there's a word for our family uh, oftentimes. And the Lord has um, been sensitizing, if that's even a word. <laughs> he's, he's been making me really sensitive, and he's been showing me um, in various ways, certain things that are happening within our community of people. And it's, it's breaking my heart um, because I believe God has given me his heart for you. And the Lord, he sees your pain and he sees your hurts and he sees your sin and he sees your guilt and your shame and all those things that, that you've hidden, all those things that you've you've bottled up within you that, um have begun to fester and they've begun to to spoil inside of you. Um, scripture says that a little bit of yeast works through the entire batch of dough and uh, Jesus he warns us to beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, to beware of the yeast of of the um, of Herod. Um, and scripture is pretty clear in 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 different places where it talks about the, the effects of sin. It says that when sin is, uh, when it conceives and it's full grown, it gives birth to death. Um, and so just through conversation after conversation, I've, I've been getting a little more insight into the struggles of some of the, the individuals and some of the couples within our church. And uh, some of our people were going through some, some really dark and some really hard times. Um, and I feel like I'm putting myself <clears throat> in a very vulnerable place, but it's what the Lord desires. I believe the Lord is weeping over us in those dark places. And it's, we've, we've hidden in the dark. We've, we've found those places where we can hide away all of the pains and the hurts that we're truly enduring. And oftentimes we wait until things get so bad to actually speak to someone about them. And, and that's what the sermon is about this morning. We're going to look at Joshua chapter 7, and, uh, and the, the sermon this morning is titled Hidden Sin. And so just understand that I feel like the Lord has, has put me in this, this weepy place to show his heart for you in all of this, because it's not a message of condemnation. It's not a message of, ha-ha, you've been found out. And it's not a message of, well, you act like you're this and that, and you act like you have it all together. But behind the curtains, you you know you're the Wizard of Oz turning the crank, right? Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. And essentially, what we've done with our life and what we've done with each other, and we're a community, we say, I look you in the eyes, I say, I love you. Right? We tell each other all the time, I love you, I love you so much. I'm so glad, and I love you, I love you, I love you. Yet for some reason... We continue to put on masks and we continue to hide behind curtains and we continue to hide things and bury things and keep things tucked away in these deep dark places for fear of shame, for fear of exposure, for fear of guilt or fear of rejection, right? One of our greatest fears as individuals, as people, as humans, it's innate to the human nature to fear being completely open and vulnerable with another individual for fear of rejection. Well, if you knew who I really was, you wouldn't love me anymore. If you really knew the things I struggled with, you wouldn't want to be with me anymore. Right? We think we're going to get rejected. And the truth is, God sees all of those things. And even in our sin, right, even while we were his foe, he fought for us. Right? While we were powerless, while we were still powerless, Christ died and he died for the ungodly. There's a love that penetrates through shame and guilt and condemnation, and it gets to us right where we need it, and it's a beautiful love. Scripture tells us in John chapter 1 that that Jesus, being the Word, became flesh and dwelt among men, and that man was the light of the world, and that the light uh, entered into the darkness, and the darkness could not be overcome by the light, right? I mean, excuse me, the light could not be overcome by the darkness, right? So there's dark places, and when light enters into those dark places, the darkness cannot overcome the light. The light wins. And so there's no dark, secret, hidden, unspoken place that Jesus can't enter into and redeem and bring to life, right? If, if, you, conquer, if, you, if you abandon the grave, well, then so will I. And so Jesus, his power, his love, is mighty to save, and his light is so powerful as to overcome any kind of darkness. And so in essence, what we're going to look at today in, in Joshua chapter 7 is, uh, it, it's kind of a tragedy if, if we really think about it. But I'll give it away. The beautiful thing about the story is that we get a, a beautiful image of the gospel of Christ and how Jesus has taken our place where there's judgment upon sin against God and against our fellow fellow man that Jesus has overcome and he's taken our place. And there's no longer shame and guilt and condemnation, but there's life and there's peace and there's joy. Okay? And so I say this because I believe that the Lord desires something new and fresh for our community and our body of believers and our friends, right? And, and my heart breaks to, to find out later on down the road when sometimes it's seemingly too late the struggles that we've endured and the sin that we've allowed to consume us and eat us on the inside. And I'm just as, I'm just as guilty of getting found out in my sin versus proactively confessing my sin. And so I know what that's like. And oftentimes, it's, it's not somebody calling you on the phone and saying, I'm really tempted to go to the bar and have a lot of alcohol because I'm feeling really depressed. It's typically the phone call, I messed up, I got a DUI, I ran into somebody, they're in the hospital. I have a $10,000 bill and I'm in jail, I need you to come get me out. That's the call we get, right? And so I feel like this is timely for us as an act of grace that the Lord says, I see you and you've been afraid, right? But he wants to enter into that place before destruction comes and before too much is lost and so some of us we've already lost we we've already had <laughs> thank you guess <laughs> <laughs> thought i was going to spare you <clears throat> what's up youtube live <laughs> This is how we roll. As an act of grace, the Lord is stopping us in our tracks. There was a moment, I can't remember the exact story, where uh, I think it was David who was on the way to go do something, and then I think it was Nathan who came and stopped him. And the Lord had a word for him before he continued on and got to a place where he shouldn't have been going. And the Lord is so good that he stops us in our tracks, right? He intervenes There's divine intervention in our life by the Father where he dives in, he jumps in, and he gets in our way, and he says, no, my child. This is what he did to Saul on the way to uh, Damascus with letters from the proconsul to persecute the Christian church. And God intervenes as a light and completely shifts the trajectory of Paul's life. And the Lord desires for a trajectory shift for us because some of us have been going a certain way way too long, so much so that we can pinpoint the moment when we were three, four, five, six, seven years old that shifted our, our life and our mentality and our, and our sin Our desires for sin shifted us in a certain way that has brought us death every step of the way. But the Father's saying, no longer will I allow you to endure that because I see you. It's when the people of God cried out and he said, I've heard your prayers. I will send you a deliverer. And he sent Moses. And we know that Moses was a type of Christ and essentially Jesus came as the ultimate deliverer of his people from the hand of oppression. And I see a lot of oppression in our people and, and I've struggled with a lot of oppression and so again I just believe the Lord's heart for us in this time is that um, we hear his voice and we, we see what he's doing and we say yes Lord <laughs> I need that I need that just show of hands how many of you need a shift in the trajectory of your life your mentality your heart your thoughts whatever it is I think we could all say yes Lord Yes, Lord. So let me just pray. Father, we, uh, we're so grateful for your heart for us. And oh, you're just so full of grace and love. And just as a good parent, you, <laughs> you catch the kid before he falls off the couch and hits his head. And you, you push the, the person out of the way before they, before they are hit by oncoming traffic. And God, you intervene in our lives and, 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 and you stop us in our tracks so that we don't continue in in our destructive ways, but you love us as a parent loves a child. And so we just submit ourselves to your love this morning. We submit ourselves uh, to this word and to exactly uh, what you want us to hear. And I just believe, God, I just believe as it is in heaven, it will be done on earth, that there is a a shifting of trajectory for us, God. To be made manifest in our lives today, and so I pray that we're open to it, Father God. I pray, and I just speak on behalf of Christ to any demonic forces that have attached themselves to derailing anything that would happen in this place. We thank you that they are marked and judged and sent away for their sin and their evil. And we just stand under the blood of Christ in this place, and we say, "Thank you, Father. We thank you for, um, we thank you for the way of the Lord being prepared in this place." Uh, this morning in our hearts and our minds and to receive what you would have to give us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Woo, didn't plan on all that. Okay, so Joshua chapter 7, I'm going to kind of work through this entire chapter. I don't have slides, so if you have a Bible or a phone with the Bible, pull that out. Joshua chapter 7, we're kind of going to work through the whole thing. And I have just a couple of points where I want to stop and make um, some some footnote, or just give some some <clears throat> excuse me, give some notes. You guys there say got it, got it. Got it. Got it. Okay, Joshua chapter seven. So um, Joshua chapter six, I believe that's where the Israelites overcame um, the walls of Jericho. And then they um, they win. They have a victory. And so here we pick up in chapter 7. And so they're like coming off this victorious high. And there's joy in the camp. And, and so here we see it says the Israelites, however, were unfaithful regarding the things set apart for destruction. So the Lord said um, when they... Um, when they conquered their enemies in this specific situation, he said not to take any spoils of war, that everything that um, they could have gained uh, from, from this defeat that they should leave to be burned. And that includes things that are good, right? So there was silver and gold and, and, and precious things that could have been gained and used in, in some other fashion, right? It's like when the woman, um, the woman who broke the bottle of Nard, it had great value, and someone was just like, well, we could have used that to sell and pay for the poor, right? And, and so it's just like, well, God, why do you want us to leave the spoils? Let us gather, you promised us riches. Why are you making us leave what we think as riches and gain, right? Why would we leave that to be burned? And so, It says, Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of what was set apart for destruction. So there was direct disobedience. And it says, and the Lord's anger burned against the Israelites. So I find this very interesting that there are things that are set apart for destruction. The Lord said, don't take the spoils of war. Leave them to be burned. Achan... One guy out of an entire clan, tribe, community of Israelites disobeys God, yet scripture tells us that the Lord's anger burned against the Israelites. Now, I, be, I began to speculate about what this may mean, and it was I, I, I feel like I gained a little bit of insight into that. And so um, what I began to think was, okay, Lord, why is it? that there was one man who sinned, yet your, your anger burned against all of the Israelites. Now let me tell you, one, Scripture tells us that we're all a part of the body of Christ. Each member, right? We, we all have a purpose. Um, we all serve a function. And then Scripture tells us that if one part of the body suffers, all of it suffers. And that if one part of it rejoices, we all rejoice. And so I, I got to thinking about... That that whole body analogy, but then I thought this. I thought you know, Achan. Here's a guy, who they go and they have this defeat, um, one, in order to to steal and keep the things that were set apart from destruction. Later on, we'll find that it was a cloak and it was gold and it was silver, and so he had to distance himself from the rest of the community in a moment to go and commit this act of sin. So there was a separation from the flock, essentially, where the sin occurred. And I got to thinking, well, and I, I'm going to use a phrase that's typical in, in, in church land, but there was an essence of a lack of accountability in Achan's life. That there was no one close enough to him to, one, be by his side during this time. I, I don't. It doesn't say if he went at night or if just... He's lagged behind. It doesn't say. But I got to thinking about the lack of the fullness of the expression of community within the body of Christ, that we are not meant to do this alone. We're not meant to to walk this earth alone. We're not meant to journey as a believer in Christ alone. We're not meant to disciple alone, right? I think that, that term disciples... We're a disciple. I think that's, um, I think it's plural in nature. <laughs> it's to be a disciple means to be among disciples, is what I would think. And so, the Israelite community, in some way, shape, or form, lacked closeness with Achan and his family. And so there wasn't a fullness of the expression of what community was meant to be because there was no one that maybe he felt like he could confess to before it came time for judgment. Well, I mean, maybe he didn't feel bad about it or whatever it was. But I think that when we walk close with each other, that when we're friends, when we're brothers and sisters in Christ, when we're a true community, when we're a true family of faith, it's very difficult for us to endure a hard time without somebody realizing that there's something wrong. And there are some people in this room who have a heightened sense of discernment, and when there's something going on, they look at you and they say, are you okay? And what do we typically do? No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm fine. No, it's cool. Yeah, well, you know, work this, but yeah, it's fine. Well, what do you mean? Oh, just working, you know, just doing this adult thing, family and kids, and you know. I mean, it's just surface, mask, like, I don't want to talk about the things that are eating me up on the inside. And then there are some, there are some people who just, blah, you know, but not everybody. I'm just as guilty as the next person when a brother in Christ looks me in the eye and they ask me that question that I dread. So how are you? <laughs> no, it's been good, man. Yeah, you know, I find all the good things and I present the good thing, right? Here's my Facebook feed. Look, everything's fine. And so I just, I just thought about the lack of maybe what there was a lack of uh, the fullness of the purpose and intention of community so that maybe God looked down and, and his anger burned towards the Israelites and not just Achan because the community somehow allowed this man to be able to distance himself so far as to disobey the word of the Lord in a way that it would affect the entire body. You see that? There's importance There's importance of closeness. There's importance in vulnerability and openness in our struggle. And as a community, watching out for our brothers and sisters, if we know that there are things going on. And again, I'm just as guilty as the next person, that when I hear that someone's going through a struggle, oftentimes, like, well, I don't really know what to do. And then I just assume that things are going to fix themselves, and then I get the phone call during that moment of urgency where something Extreme has taken place, right? And so, let's continue. It says, Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and told them, go up and scout the land. So the men went up and scouted Ai. After returning to Joshua, they reported to him, don't send all the people, but send about two or 3,000 men to attack Ai. Since the people of Ai are so few, don't wear out all our people there. So about 3,000 men went up there, but they fled from the men of Ai. The men of Ai struck down about 36 of them and chased them from the outside gate to the quarries, striking them down on the descent. As a result, the people's hearts melted and became like water. And so here they are. They see that they had just had this huge triumph. They see this, this place of Ai, and they say, oh, just send about two or 3,000 men. Like, th- we got this. This is good. Like, we... We had this other defeat, we had these other victories, so we're just going to send a few men. And so we see that um, they failed in overtaking Ai. So it says, Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell before the ark of the Lord with his face to the ground until evening, as did the elders of Israel, and they all put dust on their heads. O Lord God, Joshua said, why did you ever bring these people across the Jordan to hand us over to the Amorites for our destruction? If only we had been content to remain on the other side of the Jordan. What can I say, Lord, now that Israel has turned its back and run from its enemies? When the Canaanites and all who live in the land hear about this, they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. Then what will you do about your great name? And so the Lord said to Joshua, Stand up. Why are you on the ground? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant that I appointed for them. They have taken some of what was set apart. Again, set apart for destruction. They have stolen, deceived, and put things with their own belongings. And it's interesting here that um, the Lord Lord is using this communal language. They, their, right? This is why the Israelites, not just Achan, this is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They will turn their backs and run from their enemies because they have been set apart for destruction. I will no longer be with you unless you remove from you what is set apart. And so just in this moment, we see that um, Achan's sin has this, this effect, a uh, reverberating effect into the entire community of the Israelites, right? And so the Lord tells him, go and consecrate the people. Tell them to consecrate themselves for tomorrow, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There are things that are set apart among you, Israel. You will not be able to stand against your enemies until you remove what is set apart. In the morning, you must present yourselves tribe by tribe, the tribe the Lord selects to come forward clan by clan, the clan the Lord selects is to come forward family by family, the family the Lord selects is to come forward man by man, <clears throat> and the one who is caught with the things set apart must be burned along with everything he has, because he has violated the Lord's covenant and committed an outrage in Israel. And so I'm just going to continue through and then we'll, we'll back up, so I'm going to keep reading. So Joshua got up early the next morning. He had Israel come forward tribe by tribe and the tribe of Judah was selected. So remember, the Lord is selecting the tribes and so uh, the tribe of Judah was selected. He had the clans of Judah come forward and the Zerahite clan was selected. And he had the Zarahite clan come forward by heads of families and Zabdi was selected. And then Zabdi's family came forward man by man and Achan son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah was selected. So Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and make a confession to him. I urge you, tell me what you have done. Don't hide anything from me. And Achan replied to Joshua, Joshua, It is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I did. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful cloak from Babylon, 200 silver shekels and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. You can see for yourself they are concealed in the ground inside my tent with the money under the cloak. So Joshua sent messengers who ran to the tent and there was the cloak concealed in his tent with the money underneath. They took the things from inside the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites and spared them, uh, excuse me, spread them out in the Lord's presence. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan son of Zerah The silver, the cloak, and the bar of gold, his sons and daughters, his ox, his donkey, and his sheep, his tent, and all that he had, and brought them up to the valley of Achor. And that word Achor means trouble. Joshua said, why have you troubled us? Today the Lord will trouble you. So all Israel stoned them to death. They burned their bodies, threw stones on them, and raised over him a large pile of rocks that remains to this day. And then the Lord turned from his burning anger. And so therefore that place is called the Valley of Achor, or trouble, to this very day. So there's a lot going on here. Um, Let me give you the good news first. The good news is this, where it says, Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. So we see that one, Achan was punished for his sin. And his punishment was death. And his punishment was not only death for himself, but also his donkey, (laughs) what I do, you know, in the Shrek, Shrek donkey voice, you know, what I do. The oxen, what they do. They even burned his tent. And his family also took punishment for his sin. Now, the good news is that It says, then the Lord turned from his burning anger. One, Scripture tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus for those who believe. Scripture also tells us, for there's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. The good news is, this is pre-Christ and the cross. And the good news is that we are post-Christ on the cross. That we're in the era and the covenant of grace So in this moment, we can see that there's this punishment that came. And so for us that maybe have some sort of hidden sin, we think to ourselves, well, what's my punishment? (laughs) Well, here's the truth, is that Jesus has already taken that punishment. He's already paid for those sins. He's already died on the cross to say that you are forgiven. So let me just tell you that pre-confession... You are forgiven if you confess, right? So when you confess, there will be forgiveness. It's not if you... if right, You see what I'm saying? There's already forgiveness for the confession of sin. And there's already been judgment and payment for the sin that's been committed. And so let me just say that there are... Um, I think when it comes to sin, there are earthly kind of worldly, law-based and relational consequences for our sins. But then I'll also say that there are um, still spiritual consequences for our sins. But we know that in the grand scheme of things, we stand under the blood of Christ, forgiven and covered for all sin. So just understand that. But it doesn't mean that if we sin and when we sin that there's not going to be some sort of other kind of consequence that we're going to have to deal with. So let me just say, for instance, if I go out and I drink, and I have in the past, in 2005, I I drank all day long while floating a river and I decided to get back in my car and try and drive 172 miles to my hometown inebriated and I got a DUI. That is a worldly consequence for my drinking. The law says it's illegal to drink. There's going to be... Illegal consequence, right? Or consequence for its illegal nature. And then there was relational consequence. My mom's heart was broken. My sister's heart was broken. My dad's heart was broken. Because their son decided that he would turn to alcohol and then make foolish decisions and then end up in jail and in this bad place, right? And so, yeah, they hurt for me. And there was a rift. There was a breach of trust. Right? And so, earthly consequences, relational consequences, law, worldly, governmental law consequence. But you better believe that when I fell on my knees and I cried out to the Father to confess and repent of my sin, of turning to alcohol, he forgave me and delivered me. Right? Amen. So... When I confessed, I wasn't in front of a community of people and they weren't ready with stones to bring about judgment upon me because that's not the world that we live in anymore. However, and Achan had a fate that we should, we should learn from because we can look at, at what he did and then we can look at our lives and we can say, okay, um, yeah, yeah. I I heed the warning. (laughs) But here's the thing, again, it's an act of love and it's an act of grace. So let me just tell you, and I know this as well, that it's so easy to take some of the things of the world, and it's so easy to move forward in my my Christian life knowing that I've been freed and that God's moving me forward um, in my, my sanctification. He's making me holy, and I'm doing the mission but just in the, in the back, for some reason, I, I hear I, my sin echoes into my right ear from wherever it's hidden. It's, it comes in here, and I process it here. And so as I move throughout my days, and as I've had hidden sin with me, it has always affected me. And it hasn't just affected me, but honestly, it's affected my wife. It's affected my kids. It's affected my workplace, right? And it's affected you all. Why? Why has it affected you all? Because in the times that I've continued to move forward with hidden sin, it has oftentimes not rendered me useless, but maybe even sometimes rendered me powerless because I felt powerless. And as a man thinks, so he is. And so if I come with a guilty conscience before the Lord, and for some reason, for whatever reason, I've not been able to to move forward past some of these hidden sins, there's always some sort of, there's always a whisper. There's always the accuser knowing what is, you know, oftentimes the accuser lies, but oftentimes he'll just remind you of what you're already reminding yourself of that's wrong. Right? He said you weren't going to do that again, but you did it. You said you were going to have integrity behind closed doors, but you didn't. And so there's the accuser whispering in your ear at all times. And so in every area of my life, anytime I stand up to teach, there's that thing in my head knowing that I'm still holding on to that which is supposed to be set apart for destruction. It's called mortifying the flesh. It's called dying to the flesh. It's called killing sin. It's called by the spirit of God in us, putting to death the misdeeds of the flesh is what he's called us to do. Right? And so there's been things that I've brought with me, and every area of my life is affected. Because, (coughs) excuse me, a little bit of yeast works through the entire batch of dough. We cannot compartmentalize our sin apart from the other areas of our life where we have influence. And so what Achan did was Achan. In his tent, his dwelling place, his home for his family, he would have meals with his wife, right? He would have meals with his kids. It's where they, they probably prayed and, and had conversation and, and, and were spending time together and probably even remembering the things of the Lord and functioning within his life, yet under his tent just below him was the cloak and the silver and the gold under his, his household, his sphere of influence. It was, it was there and it was compartmentalized and it was hidden. But it wasn't really compartmentalized and it wasn't really hidden because the Lord, the Lord knew what was going on. And so because the Lord saw that and because he brought judgment on it, judgment came to his tent and his donkey and his ox and his family. And I think the point of this is to not minimize the hidden but to create a sense of urgency and tell you that it's it's urgent. It's urgent. Because things that, have you ever, um, and I'm sure you have, and if you haven't, well, then I need you to come hang out at my house and show me your ways. So in our refrigerator, oftentimes, there will be old food that has gone bad. Um, <laughs> And then it looks like the lair of the mold monster from Mars, right? Like you open it up, it's like, oh, oh you got going to close that. We're just going to throw that one away. We're not going to put it in the dishwasher, right? Like <laughs> we're just throwing that one away. We've done that. It's like, nope, throwing that coffee mug away, you know? Um, and so there's been times where you leave food and it begins to spoil. And the longer it spoils, the worse it gets. And this is what the Lord is saying in this moment. And anything that we have hidden that needs to be brought to the light, that now is the time. Now is the time, right? There's no stoning coming. There's only forgiveness, and there's only grace, and there's only restoration, and there's only light, and there's only life to be had from our confession to one another. And this isn't some bring us in front of the tribe and go person by person and say, confess your sins. But let me tell you, there's freedom... There's so much freedom, and that's the hardest part. It's the hardest step. You know, I have a friend who, is, who we've been confession friends, right? And, and oftentimes that just turns into like sin buddies. You're like, well, I sinned. Yeah, I sinned too. Oh, yeah, it's a hard struggle, you know? Versus having somebody where you confess some struggles, and then they're, they are um, not prodding you, but they're urging you and pushing you to take a step, that's going to move you away from that place, right? And so there, I, I'm having conversations with my friend, and he's saying, you got to talk to your wife, you got to talk to your wife, you got to talk to your wife. I'm like, I don't want to talk to my wife, I don't want to talk to my wife, I don't want to talk to my wife, right? But here's this person who's urging me, and he's saying, take that first step, and I'm just like, I don't know, it's just always like, you know, what i going to be doing, washing dishes, like, so hey, honey, yeah, I want to confess some sin to you right now. And he's like, exactly. Yes, there's never going to be a good time. You just do it. Just, just confess, be real, be open, right? And you, you may feel like an idiot, but there's freedom in that. There's freedom in it. And the last thing that the Lord wants for us is to hold on to something that is only going to bring forth destruction. It's set apart for destruction, and so if we hold on to something, set apart for destruction long enough, we're going to be destroyed with it. Right? And so the only other thing I have to say concerning this, and, and honestly, I don't, I don't know what's next. And I think that's just something that the Lord's going to have to impress upon somebody. Christine's smiling. And so I'm open to what the Spirit wants to do. But the other thing that I want to say um, is something that I had been thinking about. So, Scripture tells us that a mind set on the flesh is death. And a mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. And so, literally, within our mind, with our thoughts and our decisions and then our actions and our words, we have the power to administer life or death into our environments, right? I, I choose on a daily basis the things I want to say or not say. And there are times where I just don't contemplate what I'm going to say and I speak before I think and I administer death. And I hurt feelings and I make people feel worthless or belittled or less than. Minimized, marginalized, I do this to people. Sarca- my sarcastic tongue, my prideful tone and my arrogance, speaking out, thinking that I'm the ruler of the world and all things need to be the way that I want them to be, right? And so within my household, the things that I do and the things that I say, I'm either partnering with death or I'm partnering with life. And I have the power to control that environment because God has given us that power. Tell, scripture tells us that the power of life or death is in our tongue, the things that we speak, and then our actions. Jesus modeled love and mercy and grace and peacemaking. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be known as sons of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, right? So there's a, there is a kind of person that can live in such a way that we administer life into our environment. And so let me tell you that whether or not you believe it, the, the things that you're hiding, those hidden sins, those things that you're struggling with, you're not letting anybody know about, when, we, when it goes unspoken, I believe we're administering death into our environment. And let me tell you why. Because there's times, there's been, and, and I've, I've noticed this over time, that there's been things that I've, that I've done um, that are sinful, that were uh, not uh, in conjunction with the way that I should be doing things and what the Spirit of the Lord would tell me or show me, and I would go against that and then I would get home, and we would have a terrible evening as a family. There would not be peace in our house. It's like there was this veil, like this something, some sp- allowing some spirit or force or energy or entity, whatever you want to call it, to come between my wife and I so that we just weren't on the same page. Everything I said to her was taken the wrong way, and everything she said to me was taken the wrong way. And I couldn't help but think to myself, about the sin that I've committed earlier in the day. And no matter how much Satan wanted me to tell me is because my wife didn't love me or mis- she misunderstands me or she doesn't get me or whatever it is, no matter how much he wanted to tell me that, the Spirit of God was telling me it was because of my actions. Because that's what, that's what love does. And that's what Christ does. And that's what the Spirit of God does is it shows us in our own lives Our own planks in our own eyes. And so where I was trying to point out flaws in my wife, the Spirit of God is saying, you have planks. And you've allowed that plank to remain. And so there were times where I would do something again and I would feel guilty about it and there would be no confession. And then again, we'd have a bad night as 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 a couple. And I couldn't help but think again, that it was because of my hidden sin, and so there came a time where I finally spoke to my wife. I said, "Here's what I've been dealing with," and she kind of actually found out another way, which is really crappy. Um, and so we had this conversation, and I've been moving forward in in more freedom than I've ever had in my entire life in some of my areas of struggle. And I can tell you that there's peace in our home again. So could I blame Satan? Partially. But who was to blame? It was me. And as long as that stayed hidden, I don't believe that the trajectory would have shifted for me. And we're in a better place. There's still healing and restoration. And there's still sanctification to be had. There's still growth to be had. But the Lord intervened in a moment of obedience and has shifted the trajectory. And so I'm here to just say as, as a pastor or whatever, <laughs> rabbi, teacher, um, as a friend, as a brother or sister in Christ, the Lord's desire for you, like if you're here and there's some, there's a thorn in your flesh and it is screaming at you right now because this is resonating with you, I just want to say, one, I'm available to help walk through that with you. Don't give me the phone call three months down the road when you're in jail or you've hit your kid or your marriage has fallen apart or your finances are in shambles. You know what I mean? This is an act of grace by the Lord today to say that he sees you and he desires a a community functioning in the fullness of its potential to be brothers and sisters in Christ, to love one another, to care for one another, to be disciples, and then ultimately to be on mission. And I feel as though some of us have been, been held back from mission and what the Lord has put in us, the dream that he's put in us, we've suppressed that seed because of the things that we know that we struggle with and we feel unworthy and we feel guilty and we feel shame. So when we bring this to the light and we allow the Lord to deal with it, then we continue to move forward as the army of God Partnering with the Spirit of God in the earth to administer heaven unto earth according to His will. And we mission and we love and we give, but some of us have been held back because we've not done what Scripture has told us. It tells us to cast off restraint, it says to cast off any hindrance and sin that so easily entangles us. So the Lord is dealing with our hindrances. For me, coffee, social media, day four, no coffee, just. Praise the Lord. I mean, you don't have to clap or anything, but I've been convicted. Last week, I, I was like high on coffee at church. I mean, I know that sounds weird, but I confessed it, and I was like, I can't do it again. I just can't do it again. And I pray, hope that I, I get off coffee. I don't know. Maybe that's why I'm sweating, withdrawals, you know? <laughs> so, I probably had a thought, but I lost it. Do you have something? Okay. That's right. I just want to be available. That's it. I just want to be available. Go ahead. Yeah, let me say two things real quick. One, the Lord has put it on my heart. He's, he's put two, two things on my heart. One, he's put on my heart to hold some sort of marriage night or something so we can just address some issues that we know are tearing couples apart and take a step forward in, in bringing about some health. Two... Um, He's given me this phrase, and it's in scripture, but um, calling it into the light. And right now there's a group of of men that meet on Thursday nights, pretty late, usually about nine o'clock, and we sit around a fire in our backyard, and uh, we are just as real and raw as we can possibly be with the things that are going on in our lives. Marriage, alcohol, pornography, drugs, whatever it may be, people are confessing these things, and, and we're trying to move forward. Um, in in the struggles that men are dealing with. Um, And so I just want to put that, I want to speak that because it needs to be made manifest. I need to quit holding it here and get it out um, that, you know, so if that sounds like anything you might want to be a part of or need, just let me know. But uh, it's coming, some sort of marriage night, and then Thursday nights we're already getting together talking about some stuff.